With our health services really struggling at the moment, it may be time to learn some lessons from the past. On Perspective this week, we hear from representatives of the Henry Bloom Noble Healthcare Trust about its work over the near 135 years since it was established. So Henry Bloom Noble uh, was, was quite a character, wasn't he? Um, the, what, what he did uh, for the Isle of Man is, I, th- I think, partially known by most people. There's, there's very few people, I would imagine, on the island that would know as much as the, the two guests that I have uh, with me today. Um, and uh, uh, Terry Groves, Malcolm Clegg, you are trustees of the Henry Bloom Noble Healthcare Trust. Um, what, what would you say would be the... Uh, what, what's the, the, the core legacy of Henry Bloom Noble, uh, would you say, for the Isle of Man? He, he was very astute which is why I think he did so well in his business life in the island and became very philanthropic in terms of his legacies to the island. And, of course, that majored on delivery of health care, starting with helping the hospital management committee in the old 14-bed hospital in Fort Street in Douglas. And then, of course, the first Nobles Hospital, which he funded, the building of. First of all, his wife, Rebecca, provided the land. Then they built the hospital, and then he provided the money to run it, and that's where the Manx Museum is now. So his his involvement with Isle of Man Healthcare has been continuous, both personally while he was alive and then through his trust for well over 130 years now. And uh, M- Malcolm, I mean, you've got a, a better understanding, I suppose, than, than uh, Terry and I would have about the, the medical impact of uh, building a new hospital uh, back in the, the, the latter part of the, the 19th century. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I- even before uh, Henry Blue Noble sort of uh, funded the, the new, ho- what was the second hospital on the island, I mean, the first hospital had only been there for about uh, 40 years, so there was no facility on the island at all prior to that, and, and I think the one built at Fort Street was largely so, uh, an area for putting the ailing on, on a bed, basically. There was very little treatment that could be done. And then the first hospital that uh, was in Henry Bloom Noble's name uh, was a bit similar, but some better treatment or some treatments had had arrived. And of course, the, the population in the island was beginning to flourish. So the number of individuals requiring care uh, went up considerably. And, and what with transportation and more people moving around, there were more accidents and more things and therefore a need for a, a bigger facility. Uh, and I think that was what uh, what uh, Henry Bloom Noble and his trustees uh, saw was the requirement at the time. I mean, he's quite an interesting character. When you yes. when you start looking back at it, you know, born in 1816 in just outside Penrith on a farm. And, uh, farming, just like nowadays, I think, uh, wasn't very prosperous. So his father then became a customs officer in in Whitehaven and he went there was educated in the marine school and left school at 14 worked at a, a, a wine merchants and an immigration uh, or, or export uh, facility and he obviously must have had some links at that stage with the island across from Whitehaven to the Isle of Man and then came across five years later the age of 19 reputedly in a pair of clogs and a patched up trousers nothing else <laughs> uh, onto the island and and worked in the same line for five years and then set himself up in his own business um and 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 it's just remarkable that over probably four 
for four decades made a vast sum of money um, and he was probably not only a good businessman but a very severe one probably and made a good bit of profit and the story goes that in 1883 he went across to Liverpool on the on the steamer or well it wouldn't know probably was a steamer at the time and nearly died nearly drowned and at that point having been married to Rebecca for a little while he changed and decided that he needed to give back um, uh, to the uh, to, to, to the island rather than take away uh, and that led to the establishment of the the hospital and and and, and its trusts. I suppose, Phil, it's as true today as it was then. Everything is a matter of timing. And he began his business career here. This comes out in a very good book by Derek Winterbottom on Henry Bloom Noble. At the same time as Governor Locke was here, Henry Locke, who was a young man in his late 30s when he became governor for a number of years. And he was a, an entrepreneurial man wanting to drive the Isle of Man forward. So... Henry Blue Noble and the governor and the culture of the time all fell together in the right way. And in terms of, of the medical facilities then, I mean, I'm not sure how, how well-versed you are on the history of, of medicine, uh, um, Malcolm, but uh, what kind of treatments would, have, would patients have, have, have been getting in, in the old, um, well, the, the old Henry Bloom Noble Hospital? Yeah, the one that's now the, 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 the Manx Museum. Yeah. Um, by looking at the records, it didn't have a proper operating theatre or, or operating theatre of any kind. But the sort of things that would happen in those days uh, were obviously general ailments, cholera and, and infectious diseases, which were often just uh, managed elsewhere. But sometimes patients had to come in because they uh, nobody, had nobody else to look after them. But then you got the traumas of falling off the back of carts. I have a, 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 a remote, remote ancestor that was a farm labourer on Ballinorris down in down in the down near Castletown, who um, was working as a teenager on the farm there when one of the farm labourers fell off the back of the um, hay wagon, broke his arm, and this teenager picked up the uh, picked up the, the the individual and pulled the arm straight, and the farmer, <laughs> the farm owner, realised he had some talent and paid to, for him to go to St. Bartholomew's Hospital down in London to be trained and became Dr. John Clegg, a GP in Castletown. So it's all his fault. It's, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a direct descendant, but he's, yeah. uh, I was, uh, uh, my predecessors were on the farm working at the yeah. time. Well, Gosh. Direct, yeah, direct oh, that's fascinating. So um, it was a lot of trauma, and, and so people come in, and unfortunately amputations were, were probably one of the commoner operative procedures that had to be done in those days when someone got a very badly damaged limb and the only way of sorting the problem out was to remove it. So pretty gruesome stuff then. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and of course, uh, trying to sort of understand how uh, a hospital would have looked back then uh, compared with how our hospital now uh, uh, looks. I mean, it's 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 not a direct comparison to make, really, is it? No, no there, were, there, were, there was a male ward and a female ward, and there was some accommodation for for the doctor that was probably resident there and maybe some of the, the staff. And that, that's why I think there was a need very rap- not, not very long afterwards to, to, to extend the hospital. And the decision was made to move it to the, the site um, outside of Douglas at the time, 
Um, not not the one we've got at the moment, but the, but the second Henry Blue Noble Hospital. And that one did have an operating theatre, did have x-ray facilities put into it. Uh, so it was a, a step up, significant step up on the facilities they had available at the old hospital uh, where the Manx Museum is now. And it wasn't too much uh, long. Uh, the, 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 uh, the hospital at the Manx Museum site was, was only, was it 30 years? Yes, 30, yeah, 40 yeah, years, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, and then they moved to the Westmoreland Road site yes. um, and uh, that, uh, that, that expanded uh, over, over many uh, decades. Yes, that, that happened after Henry Bloom Noble's death and there's some discussion as to whether he would have wanted a new hospital built but simply provide the then management trustees with funds to extend the existing hospital on Crellins Hill. But the trustees were offered the option and chose the new site. And uh, then Westmoreland Road developed with some criticism because it was out of town. And the, it's interesting to look at the arguments for developing that hospital as a new one or redeveloping the existing one in Crellins Hill because those arguments were pretty similar to the arguments that occurred when eventually we moved from Westmoreland Road to where Nobles is now. Yes, it's... Uh, it's uh, things do change. I mean, obviously, medical science has changed significantly, but the political arguments do send, tend to be remarkably similar, don't they? Mm. But, but in terms of funding, then... Um, I mean, obviously, the, there was seen to be a, a great need for um, a, a new hospital back in, in Henry Bloom Noble's time. I mean, he, he died uh, in 1902, was it? Uh, so so the, the, the original hospital at the Manx Museum site had been opened. 1888. Um, yeah, so, yes. so he had seen the... the the, the, the product of his uh, of his uh, largesse, if you like. So the original uh, hospital uh, Henry Bloom Noble will have seen uh, before he died. Um, the the new hospital. Why 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 would why would you want to build a, a, a new hospital when you already had another hospital which hadn't been that long established? What was the the thinking uh, behind that? Do you think? Well, if you look at the um, Manx Museum site, it's fairly small. I know they've built the Eye Museum at the back now, but in those days, it was on the edge of Douglas, and and I suspect there was not much area to build out into a cramped site, uh, and it was better to start off on a a new greenfield site, if you like, just outside what was then Douglas. It seems incredible to think that Westmoreland Road was just on the outskirts of Douglas, but it was at one time. And the same sort of things now happen with the new hospital. We've got a hospital built outside of Douglas, a bigger site, more, more options to develop it with time. But this town seems to be growing out towards it. And then in, in terms of the role of, of the trust, obviously when Henry Bloom Noble died, the, the trustees uh, no longer had their, their sort of guiding influence. Um, but uh, they, they have over the... Uh, uh, 120 years since Henry Bloom Noble died, uh, done really good things. Uh, so, so how did how did how was the trust constituted in, in initially? Originally, it was set up to provide the funds to build the hospital and then fund the running of the hospital. By hospital, I'm referring now to Westmoreland Road, and. 
over time, it virtually ran the hospital, didn't it, yeah. until 1948, when the health service was mm. established and nationalised. I mean, Henry Blue Noble was alive when the trust was set up. Mm. Yes. And uh, many, of his trust, many of the trustees at that time, there was Lord Raglan, who was the governor, and the deemster. There were, there were five or six trustees at that time whom he obviously knew well and they knew him well. So they had an understanding of what he was wishing to do and a bit of direction from him, perhaps, in, in initially. And then it's just sort of um, continued since that day. Um, way back in the, the, you know, when the original trust was set up, they were they were, they were paying for home nursing, they were paying for artificial or, or not artificial limbs, but um, shoes for disabled feet and, and and that sort of thing. Things because it, you know, healthcare was charitable. It was it was run by charities. Some some I think people paid small subscriptions, but a lot of the money came from benefactors, of which Henry Bloom Noble was one of the main ones. And essentially, when he died and set out what his legacies were to be. His trustees were told to utilise his beneficial legacies, if you like, and spend the money. And so building the new hospital at Westman Road, funding it, providing money to build a cottage hospital in Ramsey, providing money to fund a care capability in the Liverpool Royal Infirmary, well over a hundred years ago, that link that we have today was established. That kind of expenditure, essentially over the years, used up his legacies, the money he left. And so today, 120 odd years later, we're not using Henry Bloom Noble's funds. We are we are using funds which island residents have left to us in their wills. Uh, we have a, a fairly substantial amount of investment which is looked after professionally for us, provides an annual income and so on, but we rely entirely now on today's residents here on our island to remember us and to fund what we try to do looking ahead. And our, our last major expenditure a big item was, of course, the new 3.0 Tesla MRI scanner, which was 1.2 million. So it's today's generosity which funds tomorrow's technology for those of us who live here. And I suppose as, as well, then looking back at the, you know, the the original hospital and then the, the the hospital we now have, public expectation has changed quite dramatically over that time, hasn't it? Um, Back in the, the the latter part of the nineteenth century, um, people's expectation of if they'd had a, a a serious incident, their expectation of survival would be much lower uh, than it would be today. Yes, I mean, I mean, because people were largely impoverished in the past, their expe- life expectation was probably forty, fifty years of age, and when they got to a certain age, they didn't feel that they they really had any great impetus to continue to live if you like and 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 that was accepted whereas this day and age we now come to rely heavily on the health service we have uh, means and ways of sustaining people for a very very long time Um, and so things have become more difficult on one sense 
but equally well the technology's improved um, and it's nice that we can have these steps forward where people get joint replacements, heart transplants and that sort of thing that will keep people living for a, a long, long time, but a lot more expensive than what was uh, the health service way back when Henry Brune, in Henry Brune Noble's time. So the chances of the health minister getting a phone call from a, a relatively wealthy Manx uh, resident to say, how would you fancy if I uh, set up a trust and... and gave you all the money you need to pay for the health service uh, for the next 20 years. Uh, that's that's unlikely to happen. Something less than zero, I would think. <laughs> <coughs> Absolutely. It, because it, it's technology, isn't it? Mm. We, just, we mentioned about the MRI scanner and the cost of it. And technology is, is what is changing medicine. And the changes in technology and the capability it will give will have a pretty dramatic effect on the delivery of health care on our island as we look ahead into the future. Um, Not tomorrow, of course, but looking longer term, all these changes will offer a very dramatic improvement to our healthcare and how we actually deliver it. And is it it just about technology or is it also about recognising and understanding lifestyle choices and and, uh, maybe living better lives? Uh, no, it's not not just about simple technology. I mean, a, a good example was when COVID um, came to the island. Um, uh, there was a degree of chaos as uh, anywhere in the world. Uh, and the island quite rightly said that you can't have visitors at Nobles Hospital. And there were people very sick in Nobles Hospital. And they put the COVID patients up in Ward 11 and 12, which was on the first floor. And these patients were nursed very nicely by doctors and and nurses wearing masks and PPE. And it was astonishing that a a nurse came to the trust and said that the patients were not able to see anyone smiling. The trust provided them with 13 iPads. Two and a half weeks it took from from the request for iPads to them being functional on the ward and the patients could see their relatives at home smiling at them. The difference that made to those patients, and you can well, I think everyone could probably empathise with that, that they were able to see a smiling face uh, for the t- during the time that they were often quite ill in hospital. And, and the iP- iPads were supplied by the trust? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, and distributed around the hospital, and uh, they're still there at the moment. They're not being used for COVID patients, but they're being used for other purposes. Mm. Um, but uh, it's, it was a relatively simple thing. Uh, not very expensive that the trust could do. And one of the advantages the trust has is it can do things quite quickly. We have the money, and if we see the need, we can move things forward probably much quicker than the health service can with the paperwork that they have involved in the systems. Terry, obviously you've been there, you've been a minister, you've been in in government, and and you know how difficult it can be just just to make relatively simple uh, decisions. Um, it must be quite refreshing for you as a trustee, in comparison, uh, that uh, you, you can just make decisions and, uh, and, and make things happen. Yes, it is. As Malcolm said, from sort of flash to bang, we can be quite rapid. I, I over-egg it when I try to explain to people that perhaps we like to initiate a discussion on a Monday with the clinicians and with, with the department. It gets signed off on Wednesday... It delivers on Thursday, and on Friday they're delivering healthcare 
improved healthcare to, to whoever needs it. It's obviously not that quick, but it tries to illustrate that we can act very, very quickly. And we have a strong conduit into the hospital and the health service, broadly speaking through Malcolm, who, who, who assesses everything with them. We, we work in partnership with them, really. And an example of that would be the radiology department and the scanner purchase. Uh, there was two and a half years, Malcolm, something of that order, that we were working with them to understand their their needs and how they were going to take it forward. So that's obviously not mon- Monday to Friday, uh, but nevertheless, it, it, it allows you to get in there and just get it done, which Wait. is not always open, as you say, Phil, to politicians at and, all. And, and I suppose anyone listening to this uh, programme would, would say, well, why? Why can't government act uh, quickly? Why can't decisions be taken as swiftly as, as, as you're describing that can be done with the trust? I suppose one of the reasons is that, frankly, government has so much call upon our money, because the government's money is ours, isn't it, as taxpayers? And they have all these different priorities, competing priorities. And I understand that, and we had that, you had that when you were there, and I recognised it when I was involved. And equally, a trust like ourselves, the the pit is not bottomless. So we have to be very sure that what we're being asked to help with will deliver, if you like, improved care at the sharp end uh, very quickly and effectively and is needed. And this is where Malcolm and and his knowledge and his skill and his, his discussions within the health service departments themselves is so critical and important and i think it, it works very well doesn't it yeah, Malcolm, it works very we have well. this I pathway mean, we have we have you know from time to time we invite members of the department members of manx care consultants to our quarterly meetings to keep, to get an idea of what their aims are to understand the way they're going and, and the like but we like to think that we provide the icing on the cake. We're not going to look to provide the basics. That's down to the health service. We want to be one step ahead, if we can, of what they are thinking of doing and getting it in as quickly as possible to the island so that we stand a chance of keeping ahead of uh, care for, for Manx residents. And, and having said all that, Phil, in terms of our work with the hospital, we are wider than that now. And uh, just 20 years ago, we changed our aims and objects, which were fairly limited. At that time, funds would come into us for a particular ward or a particular capability within the hospital. So we had restricted money and unrestricted money. And 20 years ago, we were able, through the appeal to the Attorney General's chambers, to, to change that because the restrictions we were under perhaps no longer existed in terms of that particular capability or ward or whatever and so we have been helping the likes of the children's center we've got more involved today with mental health trying to understand it uh, and we have helped with motivate for example Uh, and Malcolm you'll probably talk a little bit more about that we've we've just been able to expand our reach actually in our aims and objects and all these are available on the website if anybody's interested to look it up they're very wide and we can't possibly do it all because we simply wouldn't have the money unless lots of people were very generous very quickly. 
I mean, we aim, you know, any medical facility, dental facility that requires additional equipment, um, we're quite happy to talk to them about. We provided, you know, a good example was that um, people in care homes have dental problems. They can't always get to the dentist. The dentist can get to them, but needs the equipment to get to them with. And we provided a, a an X-ray, a small little handheld X-ray machine that they could use. Uh, in care homes uh, to ensure that the, those patients got a, a good facility. One of the, I think one of our really nicely successful things was we provided some, uh, it's a bicycle for to a physiotherapy department at, no, at, at Nobles, but it's a bicycle for disabled or less abled people to use. And basically, if you don't use your lower limbs, your muscles waste. If you're disabled and you can't make, move the limbs yourself, your muscles waste, and that makes the situation worse for you. Uh, uh, but by by going onto this uh, uh, cycle machine with electrodes attached to your lower limbs, the electrodes feed in the impulses to make the legs work to drive the bicycle, and then the physiotherapist can reduce that impulse and let the patient take over to some extent. And it's been shown to keep people more mobile than they would have been without that and that little difference has kept them out of hospital so it's stretching out into the community to try and prevent people having to access our acute facilities is is something that we we would like to achieve yes we've got six aims and objects if you like and the last one says to help the sick and the infirm of the isle of man in any way the trustees think fit which rather illustrates how wide we can be that that's like the, the the bit on the end of the job job description and anything else that, <laughs> yes. that your boss tells you. Well, <laughs> yes. but it does yes. enable us to. Mm. Um, Henry Blue Noble would would be proud, I think, of that that phrase in 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 it because he was somebody who liked to think outside the box, move things forward. He must have done to make the money that he made in the first place, and to continue that into spending the money that the trust has got is, is I think, a good thing. Yes. And, and it's sometimes uh, things that we might be yes. able to do that the health service cannot because of their, you know, they may have limitations on how they can spend their money. And I think in the past we've we, we bought an ambulance for the Red Cross. We've helped Joey Dunlop Foundation, um, all-terrain wheelchair for the Children's Centre. So it isn't all just about scanning units and ultrasound machines and so on, by any means, important as all that is terms of new equipment. I think that's probably an appropriate time for us to, to, to take a break. I'm joined by uh, Terry Groves, chair of the Henry Bloom Noble Healthcare Trust, and also Malcolm Clegg, the medical assessor and uh, trustee as well. We were talking uh, a little bit before the, the break about the vast amount of work that you could potentially do, but obviously that relies on funding. So, so how do you go about uh, raising funds. We don't often hear of uh, Henry Bloom Noble Healthcare Trust having a, uh, I don't know, a, a raffle or a... a so so how, how do you go about uh, raising funds? To some extent, we've kept ourselves below the parapet. You're quite right. And we don't fundraise in what you might think would be a traditional way for charities. We've always relied as we mentioned earlier, on people remembering us in their wills, broadly speaking. Uh, and so that, 
doesn't really require the traditional method of fundraising. We try to remind people, and this is a huge advantage for us to be able to talk to you today, that we're here and that there is a way of helping the people of the island through the work that we do. And if people recognize the work we do and our approach to it and want to remember us at some point in the future, then we're very grateful to them for doing that. But that's the sole way in which we gather our funds together. Uh, hopefully, we aim to try and become visible to those who would advise such people who are making wills, who may want to leave some money to charity, that where a charity they might like to consider helping. But that's the way we have operated from a fundraising point of view all this time, all these 130 years. And and I suppose then, uh, uh, we touched earlier in the programme that uh, it's unlikely we're ever going to find someone as uh, wealthy and philanthropic as Henry Bloom Noble to be able to fund the whole thing. Um, but uh, ideally, you're, you're looking for uh, very wealthy people with, with lots of money to, to, to leave a, a portion of their money to, to, to the Trust. Well, I'm, I'm not so sure that that's the case, really. Obviously, those who have more can leave more to charity should they so wish. But I recall when I was involved with, in the early days with hospice back in the 1980s, the widow's might of giving was hugely important, where we weren't just looking for wealthy people to leave us money or donate money. Um, we wanted everybody to embrace the principles of, in that time, hospice. And if I, I call it the widow's might, where if somebody was to leave us a pound, we were just as thrilled as somebody who left us a hundred pounds or a thousand pounds or donated that to us. So I, I think. We're open to everybody to remember us, whether it's £10, 100 or long thousands, really. Is ph philanthropy alive and well on the island, would you say? I think so, Malcolm. Yes. You know, I, I think you're it is. You're not in yeah. yet and you're involved with other yeah. charities it, as well. It is, but many charities, or quite a lot of charities, get set up with a, a specific... Um, purpose or, or aim to buy a piece of equipment or establish and run a service so they've got a a particular um theme going all the time and it's quite it's it's easier for them to um go out to the public and say you know give us some funds because we want to build this or we're running this particular service what's unique almost to henry blue noble is that we like our aim is to have the money in the bank for when it is needed for something quite important quite quickly um, in the future and 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 we can then get the equipment more quickly than having to sit back and raise the money for it and then buy the equipment so that's probably why we've got a, a lower profile because we don't have something out there that to, to appeal specifically for to, to the public and, and that that must be quite a hard thing, I suppose, in terms of uh, the, the, the selling message yes. to, 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 to people. People say, you know, in, in, in other 
charities I'm involved in is, well, why don't you have a specific thing? Well, the way the charities, are, some charities are set, set up, they don't have in mind at the time. They're just trying to do something to, to keep the system going or help the, help the existing systems that, that, that are out there. I mean, we also do, we have also got education grants available to members of the health service on the island. We will fund half the costs of education for a a, a nurse, a doctor or anyone involved in, in, in the medical side of thing who wants to progress their career on the island. The payback is they have to do two years service on the island after they have completed that course that we've provided half the funding for. But that's providing and trying to keep people on the island who want to stay on the island and provide a better service to the island residents. It's not something that's very easy to go, you know, put a poster on the wall about. Um, but it's we've had some very good applicants and some people who are working at Nobles Hospital here and now that may not be working there if they hadn't had that opportunity offered yes. to, available to them to progress their move up the, the, the ladder in Nobles Hospital. And the only way they could do that was to get some more qualifications, and they, you know, and you can do a lot of things online these days. So it's it's not a question of going off for a year to study. You can do it on the island, but you do need. The, the funding to be able to um, cope with the online course, number one, and secondly, there's, there's often a small residential element involved across that they need support for. We can provide half the cost for that. Because I think sometimes uh, maybe maybe people don't understand just how uh, how much more difficult it is to be in the medical profession on the Isle of Man uh, as opposed to if if you were in a hospital somewhere in I don't know the the, the middle of Scotland somewhere in Glasgow. You could easily go to Edinburgh for training on a particular speciality and not dramatically impact on your working day. Um, whereas from the Isle of Man, you have to be able to rely on there being a flight at the right time and uh, mm. uh, and this and that. So. Yeah, I think the island's quite it's quite good at providing education on the island. Uh, the postgraduate uh, centre, Keel Dowry, for example, is ve- very well. Um, set up and 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 I know for a fact that uh, some of the doctors who do come here for a six month attachment find our facilities here far better than they were uh, getting in in centres of excellence, so to speak, in mm. in the UK. Uh, but on the other hand, it's you know there there are there are people in posts at the hospital, not necessarily medical, but uh, administrative, or providing care in some way where there isn't a, a, um, a course very easily accessible across for them, that they could do part-time on the island, and, and, and that's where the funding comes in handy. So it's a right, right across, the, across the board. They don't have to be a doctor, they don't have to be a nurse, they have to be a worker in the healthcare prof- um, facilities on the island. Possibly time for a, 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 maybe a bit, a bit too profound for a Sunday afternoon, maybe not. Um, we know about the increasing expectation that people have in relation to health care. Um, I think any of anyone who's had any connection with government will know that government, quite frankly, can't afford to pay for the level of expectation that's out there uh, for the provision of health services. Is there some way in which uh, Henry Bloom Noble's legacy uh, can, can actually be um, embraced um, so, some way in which a, a bigger connection can be made with philanthropy to, to, to start funding more um, t- 
to, so that we can meet or, or at least part of the, uh, the high public expectation for uh, better and better health services. I mean, we can go some other way in a sense, but um, uh, we don't want to dictate to the government what how they should run the health service. Yeah. And they, you know, Sir Jonathan Michaels did a report a few years ago, and I think that's heading in the right direction. Uh, we have to recognise these days, when I was a young consultant, I could operate on anything, anyone that I felt I felt I was competent at doing. Nowadays, you have to demonstrate that. You have to do a certain number of cases, for example. You have to see a certain number of patients with a certain condition to be able to deal with those patients, which means that more patients have to leave the island to get treatment. And, and that's, you know, people may not like that, but that's best in their best interest. You get better results if the person who's doing the treatment, giving the treatment to you, is treating a lot of patients, and they also get the team behind them, the specialist team behind them to help you get through things uh, more quickly. The island is moving more towards uh, an acute service and a diagnostic service and that's where for example we've um, helped out with the MRI machine and we've got, we're in discussions with the uh, hospital at the moment about some other developments um, around telemedicine which is something the Trust has tried to support for the last decade getting better communication between the island and the cross, not just in the form of letters, for example, but you know, you can take an x-ray of a patient and you can send the images to Hawaii for someone to report. And and similar other things, similar other avenues within healthcare, that can happen as well. And and the island's got to go is going to have to go down this uh, track of increased telemedicine. We we can't have specialists for, for small things on the island. What we can do is access those specialists either with a patient on the island or by sending the patient to that uh, specialist across. And it's things like that that we want to try and um, move forward, help the, the healthcare service on the island move forward with. I suppose, Phil, as, as a layperson, me, I can see that when I was involved in the House of Keys, I was involved as a junior member for health, as I know you were when you were there. And the Nobles Hospital we have now was built to be the equivalent of a district general hospital in the UK, although our population was roughly three times less, I think, Malcolm, mm. possibly four times less than the population that they require to have such a capability in the, in England. And we need, I imagine, to have time now to think strategically at the highest level how the island might develop, and Malcolm has given a couple of pointers there, I believe, in terms of becoming more focused on acute A&E care and on diagnostics, because 80,000 people or 100,000 people can't run a district general hospital in the future with everything that is required in terms of skills levels, equipment and all the rest of it. And we need to be brave enough, I think, to step aside a bit and have people strategically thinking what's best for all of us. It's not exactly the clean sheet of paper approach because we haven't got a clean sheet of paper, we've got an existing provision. But the clean sheet of paper thinking might help tell us how we can develop the existing operation better going forward. Not easy. 
it, it's, and it's, it's not cheap. Absolutely, um, but necessary. Uh, yeah. Certainly, the work, uh, the, the that that sort of strategic direction. Um, I mean, in terms of Malcolm, your your time in the uh, the, the sort of medical services. Um, how often have you heard the the uh, the sorts of comments that Terry's just come out with there that you know, we, we need to think more strategically, uh, we need to you know look at the bigger picture and and maybe come up with a better um, way of doing things. Um, I, I imagine this this is often said, uh, but rarely achieved. Well, there 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 have been times in my career when there've been leapfrogs steps forward by the health service. And then it gets stuck and, and it, it sort of hangs there for a while using the system that it's put in. And then another big step forward. It's, 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 it, rather than a, a sort of gradual um, sort of evolvement of the, uh, of, of, of the service. Um, but, you know, I was a young consultant in Newcastle and I wanted a laser. Um, I could see having gone to some conferences that uh, uh, there was a role for uh, a laser in the area of surgery that I was working in. Went to the local newspaper, the Evening Chronicle in Newcastle. Five days later, I had £38,000 in cash Gosh. in an envelope handed into my office. A brown envelope. <laughs> brown envelope. <laughs> we, managed to track, we managed to track the person. Yeah. A pensioner. Gosh. A pensioner. Yeah. Mm. Uh, given and, and and it made the difference to what I could do for the patients of the of the city. It it sounds time. easy to say it, Phil. Mm. I mean, you yeah. need to think strategically and so on. Yeah. Everybody's so hugely busy, and we all know if we are in the hospital or the health service, and we're we've got healthcare professionals dealing with us at the sharp end of it all, they're absolutely fantastic. They're fabulous. They do a wonderful job, but everyone's so busy mm. doing what they're doing. And, and I'm just suggesting we need to somehow think about creating the time for strategic thinking, which isn't Im imposed upon by day-to-day -day operational issues and potentially firefighting and all the rest of it. And indeed, some of the big the, the potential uh, issues that you need to consider, the, the potential to things that can be addressed. I mean, the the number of hours wasted where people don't turn up for appointments um this I, I remember we were talking about this when i was in the in the health department so that would be about 20 years ago um and at that stage some bright spark said yes well what we should do is we should charge people if if they don't turn up yes um uh, and and then suddenly mm. the um the, the brown stuff hits the fan at the thought that uh, we would start charging for for, for, for this sort of thing um the, the, a lot of the problem with, with trying to change in, in, in relation to the health service is that we've got familiar with a particular way of doing things as, as the public. We, you know, we expect uh, you know, it's free at the, po at the, the point of delivery. We expect it to be comprehensive. We expect it to be good. And we don't expect um, pesky politicians interfering and, and changing things uh, along the way. Uh, it's, it's not an easy yet not to crack this, is it? It's certainly not, no. I'm not sure that, uh, certainly I haven't got an answer to it, no way. It's very, very difficult. I mean, I, you know, I go to the dentist, I get an appointment, and then 
two days before uh, the my appointment's due, I get a text message telling me, reminding me that my appointment is on a certain time and, and telling them if I cannot make it. And, and there have been times when I've forgotten that I had the appointment and that's made me think of it and then, all right, I've got something else, so I, I'm, I ring up and make another appointment. And, and it, it saves them wasting the time. And there, there is technology there, I think, that, that could get better at getting patients mm. to attend for their appointment. Some of them miss it because they mm. don't realise they've got it. If you get an appointment a year in advance, it can be difficult to put on the calendar next year. Yeah. I mean, that's not going to be difficult, is it, to analyse why the appointments have been missed? I don't know whether that work's done or not, but at a group practice level, if you know 200 people haven't turned up, find out why, because there will be different reasons. But one may be more an outstanding reason than another, and then you can begin to say, well, how can I change this pattern hmm. of behaviour? Is it something we, as a business, are doing wrong, and so on? You've got to analyse the reasons and the causes first. But but it is, if we are to to reform and uh, revitalise the the health service and be able to uh, uh, pay for it in the future, we do need a bit of out of the box thinking, and it's not just from the professionals, the, the medics, the administrators, it's actually the public as well have to be prepared to go on a bit of a journey and yes. be prepared to take on uh, maybe some new ideas. Yes, I, I, you know, my father was a GP here, so I grew up with all of that and I saw how he operated, which is quite different today, of course. Um, and it, it, you're absolutely right, it can't be difficult to... Th- to think about where are the best parts of each element? How do we bring them together? Things are changing, things have changed so rapidly. What's the best way now? There's only 80,000 odd people here at the moment. We're aiming for 100, fair enough, that's not much uh, in, in terms of what we're talking about. What's the best way of delivering the best healthcare to those people? I mean, of the 100,000, potentially, Half are married, the other half, and the other half has left a third of their children. So it's not a huge number of people, such as they're working with in the UK. And you, you might say to yourself, do we always just have to mirror everything that's done in the UK, or is there an island way? Indeed, and, and uh, I remember uh, posing the very same question when... I think, uh, Malcolm, you said earlier about uh, when you started, you could operate on anything you felt that you could do, uh, whereas um, certainly when I uh, was in the health department, and I say that would be about 20 years ago, uh, we were starting to see um, uh, in orthopaedic surgery specialisations so yeah. that people would specialise on a knee and others would sp- yeah. specialise on mm. a hip or an ankle mm. or whatever it might be. Um, and... Uh, you know, it occurred to me at that stage, well, what happens on the Faroe Islands, for example, which is much further distant from from large hospitals than, than we are? Presumably, they must have some way of, 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 of dealing with this uh, particular problem. Um, yeah, so so maybe other islands, maybe we maybe yeah, Manx Radio will fund me to go on a jaunt around the uh, the various islands of the world to 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 see where what, what my, the best opportunities. My wife and I were in Greenland uh, at the end of August, and uh, they don't have an airstrip. They hardly have roads. You can imagine it's mainly ice, and they have a helicopter. So when you're ill, you fly in the helicopter. And the helicopter's range is two hundred miles, 
And Iceland, which is the nearest capability, unless you go up to the airbase or to the north of Greenland, is 250 miles. So that seems to me there's a bit of a shortfall if you're, <laughs> if you're flying with an appendicitis or something. But again, we talked about technology here and all the rest of it, but you still need, as Malcolm keeps reminding me, you still need somebody to take the gallbladder out. You still need somebody here to deal with the appendicitis, to fix the broken leg, whatever. Regardless of the technology, there are certain healthcare needs here which we will still have to have clinicians and specialist skills to deal with. And sadly, we are running out of time now, but uh, one thing that's perhaps remiss of me is I haven't asked you, how would people go about leaving money to the Henry Bloom Noble Healthcare Trust? On our website, we have all our details and also, more importantly, the detail of our secretary, Mr. Rob Young, and his contact addresses and phone numbers and emails and all the rest of it. So that's the way to get in touch, really, with us. That's the way uh, it's been operating in the, in the recent past quite successfully. So Henry Bloom Noble Healthcare Trust is a bit of a, a mouthful, I'm afraid, but the website is there. If you put Henry Bloom Noble in, it'll come up, and all the details are there, including who are the trustees, aside from Malcolm and myself as well. So there's quite a bit of information there, and the pathway to to uh, making donations to us or, or not necessarily just leave us in the will but a donation it's all there to be seen quite easily well I've certainly enjoyed and been informed uh, by, uh, by this uh, chat and uh, thank you very much gentlemen for, for, for sparing the time it's a great pleasure thank you for the opportunity to talk about it are you inspired to give a little to the trust or do you think our health services should be funded by the taxpayer I'm Phil Gorn Goramayos and Geishtek Rom thanks for listening